Jesus is alive. The church is alive today. Amen. The Spirit of God is within us. He is here with us today, and he is working in our lives. He is transforming us. He's changing us. He's teaching us. He's leading us, and his kingdom is growing. Amen? I'm glad to be a part of the church in this day, in this time. You know, it's very clear throughout Scripture the difference in two kingdoms. The kingdoms of the enemy are built with strongholds, and they're built with force, and they're built with forced labor. They're built with chains. They're built with intimidation. They're built with forced control. They're built with do what we say or else. That's the kingdom of the enemy. The kingdom of Jesus Christ, however, is a kingdom of freedom. He comes and he lays down his life for those who would be a part of his kingdom. And he sets them free. And he blesses them. And he gives to them. And he's, he gives them freedom. And he calls them to walk in freedom. He calls them to walk in all that he has for them. Two differences. Two kingdoms. And boy, we see it playing out in our world today. Amen? Two kingdoms at play. Make sure that your prayers, your work, your focus is on building the kingdom that looks like the kingdom of God and not the kingdoms of this world or the kingdoms of the enemy. Amen? He's called us in as part of his kingdom to tear down strongholds. And the thing about strongholds, the thing about lies that get built, habits that become part of life, addictions, and even patterns of thinking, those don't just get broken haphazardly. You don't stumble into freedom. You don't stumble into greatness. You don't stumble into greater joy, greater peace, greater life in Christ. It comes through intentional repentance and belief and practice of the faith. It takes work. It takes belief. It takes consistency. Consistency. No one stumbles into weight loss. Hello, right? It doesn't just ha- you don't just wake up one day and say, wow, I have lost 30 pounds. This is awesome. I don't know how I did it. I've been eating chips and drinking soft drinks. That doesn't happen. If it does, there's something wrong, right? No one stumbles into a great garden. Oh, it says, my goodness, there's squash and cantaloupes everywhere in my backyard. This is amazing. That doesn't just happen. It takes work. It takes discipline. No one stumbles into greatness. It's a a phrase we use in our staff often, that there is a required intentionality that comes even in the faith. No one gets to the place where you say, wow, I don't know how it happened, but I've changed the way I think. I don't know how this happened, but I pray more boldly now. I don't know how this happened, but I know scripture like I have never known before. I don't know how this happened, but I have faith greater than I've ever had before. No one stumbles into that. It comes with intentionality. It comes with purpose. And praying bold takes discipline. It takes work. And it takes time. You're not going to develop all of a sudden a great pray bold life by coming to church on one Sunday and saying, I think I'll do some of that. No, you'll do it in the day in and the day out and the discipline and the learning and the processing and seeking God. It's part of the process of learning to pray bold. And when you do that, you will find some breakthroughs 
breakthroughs. You will find strongholds being torn down. You will find life change happening. You'll see it happening for you, and you will see it happening for one you love. You'll see it happening in your spouse. You'll see it happening in your kids. You'll see it happening in your family. You'll see it happening in your friends because God has called us to that kind of freedom. And when you pray bold, you will see that thing happen. And those, those freedoms, those joys, those delights all wait for us. And God could do whatever he wants, but he's chosen to do it through those who will pray and pray bold. Amen? So that's what this series has been about. I want to kind of set up where we're headed today because God has a process that he is working in our life. When we recognize that and join him in that, then we'll see change happen. So I've, I've done some of this before. But I want to bring it back around today, and I want us to kind of look at it in a fresh way today. So every person that is born, the Bible says they are born in the flesh. Now, I don't mean they have skin. They do. But you are born with a way of thinking. You are born self-centered. You don't have to teach a baby to want to have its needs met. In fact, it cries if it doesn't get its needs met. Now, if you become an adult and you still cry when you don't get your needs met, you're still a baby. Come on now, right? Hello? That, you need to get past all that. But a person that walks in the flesh, the Bible calls it the flesh, they are all about them. They're all about, I want my needs, my time, my way, my comfort, my ease, and you define life by you. You're in the flesh. In fact, the Bible says that when that happens, you are actually dead. You are dead to the reality of God working in your life. You're dead to the reality of freedom and peace. You're dead to having victory in your life because you're just consumed with yourself. You are in the flesh. But you weren't intended to stay that way. God had a, as a plan and a purpose to free you from all your selfish addictions and desires and urges and appetites. You were not meant to just be a slave to your urges. Now, the world today has come to believe that. The world today says, no, this is what I am. If I have an urge, if I have a longing, if I have an appetite, I am that thing. And so they've come up with new terms and new labels and new ways to define what they are and what they want to be. And they identify with their urge. They identify with their desire. And they name themselves that and then walk in that and claim this is how I was born. This is how I was made. Now, in some ways, they're right, but you were never intended to be a slave of that urge and appetite. Because when you, are, when you stay in that, you are dead to God. You're dead to life. You are dead to anyone else around you, and you want everybody to conform to you. And if people don't conform to your urges and appetites and desires and don't recognize your pronouns and don't recognize your dysfunctions and don't recognize all your desires, you cancel them, right? That's what the world is doing today. They are in the flesh, and we are seeing it in rampant form today. Romans chapter 1 describes that whole thing where the culture has become a slave to itself and it worships and serves the flesh. Whatever the flesh wants, you serve it. You, you cater to it. You go with it. And you cancel anybody who comes against it. 
Romans 1 says that that's what would happen in a culture that dismisses God. They would worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. They would dismiss whatever he says and highlight whatever they feel in their appetites. And the Bible says that whoever stays in the flesh and rejects God, they will die and go into an eternity without God because they have not been redeemed. They have not received new life. They are still walking in their flesh. But God sent his son to free us from this, to free us from walking in our old flesh, our old appetites, our old desires, doing what we want when we want and and hating and hurting everybody who doesn't let us do what we want. And so Jesus comes, he lays down his life, he takes our sin, all of we've done in our flesh, upon himself, and he bears that on the cross, and he says, now anyone who will come to me and receive what I have done, they can be free from their flesh, and they can be born again. They can start over in life, this time with a brand new heart, not just a chance to try it all one more time in the flesh, but God says, I take away that old stony heart and I give them a new heart. I give them a new spirit. So we are born again and we start with a new spirit within us. And this spirit is the spirit of God, but it's, it's the spirit of God in and with our spirit. So there is a new you born in you. I know sometimes people like to use the, the verse from the Old Testament after they're saved and say, well, you know, the heart is desperately wicked and who can know it? Look, that's true for you before you came to Jesus. In Jesus, you have been given a new spirit, a new life, a new heart. You are not desperately wicked at your core anymore. You have been redeemed at your core. You have a new man living within you. You have Jesus Christ, the power of the resurrection, the spirit of God living in you. Amen? This is who you are. But the enemy loves to convince you that's not who you are. The enemy wants you to not believe that you've been made a new person. The enemy wants you to believe you are still stuck in your sins. You are still this old person. There's no way you could be anything different. And you are a slave. That's what the enemy is after in your life. But God has put his spirit and he has given you a new spirit within you. Now, the Bible uses the term born again because you begin this process with your spirit still young, needing to be trained, to grow, to develop. You are born again, then you are called to grow up in the faith, to grow up. And you don't just get there. You don't stumble into maturity. You don't stumble into self-control in your life. You don't stumble into great faith. You don't stumble into being able to pull down strongholds. You don't stumble into freedom in your life. You don't stumble into any of that. You, in, you grow into it by maturity, and you grow into that by discipline, spiritual discipline in your life. This is what God calls us to. But in the flesh, it's appetites, urges, and senses are still raging, right? Hello? Because this is what happens for the believer. They come to Christ, but they have walked for so long listening to everything about their flesh. 
They've listened to their appetites. They've listened to their desires. They've listened when it wants to be angry. They've listened when it wants to be jealous. They've listened when it wants to give in to sin. They've listened when it's insecure. They've listened when it wants to fit in with the crowd. And as a believer, you have the Spirit of God within you, but the flesh, you've been walking that for so long, you find it hard to shut down those appetites and senses and urges. Hello? This is the walk of faith. You begin this process, but you don't get past this without some work. You don't get past this without discipline. You don't get past this without seeking God. Let me show you what is intended to happen. This is what God wants to have happen, where your spirit is large and in charge. The spirit of God within you and its appetites, its, its urges, its senses become strong and the flesh becomes small. You start walking in the spirit and all of a sudden praying is not the burden that it used to be. Getting up early to seek the Lord is not the pain that it once was. Taking time to worship in the midst of difficulty is not the great difficulty that it used to be. You start exercising and walking in the spirit, all of a sudden you start sensing, this is what God wants in this situation. You don't wonder, where's God in my life? Instead, you know where God is in your life. You don't wonder what God's direction is because you know God's word. He intends for us to have the fruit, the evidence of the spirit in our life so that I actually have great faith, I have love, I have joy, I have peace, I have patience, I have self-control in my life, and the flesh becomes small. Where it was the one that was large and in charge, now the spirit of God within me and my spirit, redeemed, forgiven, accepted, righteous, whole, this is who I now become. So the question we're all asking and wondering, and you're here for, I believe, is how do I get from here to here? No believer wants to stay stuck in this. No believer wants to stay in the old places of old thinking patterns. Nobody wants to stay stuck in patterns of anxiety and depression and bitterness and jealousy and envy and brokenness and comparison and insecurity. Nobody wants to stay in that. But boy, the enemy is working overtime to try to keep you in that spot, to make you think there is no way you could ever break free, that you could ever break through where you are. We're here to shut down that lie today. Amen? Our message today is called Fast and Pray for Breakthrough. God has given a discipline. God has given a pattern God has given a process for how we move from walking in the flesh and listening to all of its appetites and urges and desires. He has given us a plan for how to move from here to here, to do the work, to grow in the spirit, to sense God, and to know that growth is happening in me. And so today... We're going to be looking at Isaiah 58. If you've got your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to Isaiah 58. We'll set this up and see what God has to say about fasting and praying. Because you and I all want to break free from where we are right now. Amen? 
You've got some things in your life. You can just be honest with yourself and God. He already knows, by the way. There are some things you want to break through. There might be some ways that you've thought. There might be a, a habit. It might be a pattern. It might be it might even be something financial, relational. It might be a loved one that you're praying for because they're stuck in a place and they need a breakthrough. Isaiah 58 talks to us about the fast and how fasting and praying brings us to this place of breakthrough. Now, let me set up a little bit of Isaiah 58 because it's at a time when God is writing to his people and they're very religious in other words, they're going through the motions. But inwardly, there really hasn't been a whole lot of change. In fact, inside, they are incredibly dark. They're incredibly selfish. But outwardly, man, they are putting on the show. They are going to the temple. They're dressing up. They're talking the talk. They're worshiping. They are even fasting. I mean, they are really putting on all the externals, but internally, there is nothing there. They're hiding it all, they think, from God, and inwardly, they're dark, their thoughts are evil, they're corrupt, they're addicted to sin, and God calls them all out. Isaiah is the prophet that God uses to address the sins going on in the nation. And when you read through some of uh, the early chapters of Isaiah, it almost reads like uh, a modern-day uh, news website describing our day. Because Isaiah describes it, and he says that the people in his day, they were redefining life to be what they wanted it to be. They had rebelled against God's ways. They were celebrating sin. They were weighed down with their addictions and their burdens. Their thoughts were continually evil. The government leadership was corrupt. The religious leadership was corrupt. Change had happened so that they even redefined what justice was. It wasn't justice based on what was righteous. It was justice on whatever they deemed social. Hello. It was oppression happening from the rulers to the people. There were people in charge, but they had no heart for the people they were serving and leading. They were, fe they were feeding themselves. The weak the fatherless and the widow were being taken advantage of. They were the oppressed group. They were celebrating sexual morality and promiscuity, homosexuality and perversion, and they had forsaken their history as God's people. Isaiah 1, 7 says from God, your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Strangers devour your land in your presence, and it is desolate as overthrown by strangers. Sound like a modern-day news clip? Hello? It does. This is what happens when you take God out of the culture. This is what happens. You end up serving and worshiping the creature rather than the creator. The crazy thing is that in the midst of all of this, these people, as corrupt as they were, were still going through the religious motions. They were still going to church. They were still reading the law. They were still keeping the disciplines of praying and fasting. But they were doing it to try to impress, and they were doing it to try to make a statement, and they were doing it for their own social cliques. They were doing it so they might look better before the people. And God calls all of them out 
in Isaiah 58, he actually, in the earlier chapters, says, when it comes to all your sacrifices, all your singing, God said, I hate it. There's not a whole lot of things that God says he hates in Scripture, but this is one of them. God hates when there is a religious show put on and there is the absence of heart change underneath. God hates that. He's not interested in it. He doesn't look at someone's religious exhibition and say, oh, they're just trying so hard. No, God despises that because it corrupts the very thing and the message of what he's trying to say. Don't put on. God says, I've come for your heart to be changed. Now, if your heart's changed and you're praying and you're seeking and you're worshiping and you're fasting, God pours out blessing. But if you're doing all of those to try to earn some points, to try to impress the crowd around you, and there's no heart change, God is not interested. So, in Isaiah 58, in these verses that we're going to look at, starting in verse 6, God is going to say, look, here is what I have chosen a fast to be for. Here are the things that it does, and here are the things that you will see as a result of it. Now, I recognize fasting is not one of those things that gets talked about in church a whole lot. If it does, it's kind of in secret because you don't want anybody to know that you're fasting. Actually, it kind of ruins the purpose of it. Nobody walks around and says, hey, I've been fasting for five days. Don't I look great? Look how spiritual I am. You just kind of miss the whole point, right? But God says, let me show you and let me tell you what will happen if you are really fasting and praying in the purpose for which I have declared it. Isaiah 58, 6 says, is this not the fast that I have chosen? In other words, you don't get to choose the fast like you want to do. You don't get to choose the fast on your terms. You choose it as God says he has chosen it. He says the first thing here. Here's what I've chosen a fast for, to loose the bonds of wickedness. God says, I have come and I have established a plan And here's what I'm doing. I am moving you from this place to this place. Because here in this place, there is still bondage. There are strongholds. And there are addictions. You are holding to some things besides me that you are looking to for your peace, your purpose, your power, your escape. And so when God says, I've chosen a fast, I've chosen it so that it might actually produce a breaking of the bondages in your life, so that you can actually break free from those, so that you are no longer a slave to your past, to your sin, to your way of thinking, to loose them, to break them wide open, to break the bonds of wickedness. What's interesting about this word wickedness It's often used in the Old Testament in association with another word, iniquity. Iniquity is a word that refers to not just a sin I commit, but a pattern of sin that comes down through my family line. Mm. Did you know your family has some iniquities? Your family has some patterns that have come down through the generations to you? It's not to blame them, but it's just part of how creation works. For example, in our physical realm, our height, skin color, eye color, certain 
health tendencies all come down through your family line, right? You can look at a mom and dad and you can look at the children and say, yep, they came from them. Physically, that is true. Spiritually, it's also true. There are certain propensities that come down through a family line, just as sin came from Adam all the way down to you and I. There are certain generational patterns that come down generation lines. And God says, I have established a way for you to actually break those generational patterns so that you don't carry them on. I know what came to me from my mom and dad. We never sat down and had a conversation like this, but I, they've already gone on to be with the Lord, by the way, but I know from their life and conversations we had, I can identify pretty quick what my mom had and what my dad had and what has come to me. You want to know what they are? I know what my generational patterns are that I have to work to break. My mom struggled with worry and fear. Guess what I picked up in my generational lineage? It just comes naturally to me in my line. My dad, he was, he was the guy that when the family was gathered together, he was going to be loud. He was going to do something crazy. He was going to say some stuff and later think, why did I say that? Hopefully he said that later. <laughs> I get some of that too. So I know these patterns come to me and you all have them too. It's actually a very healthy discussion to have in a family, believe it or not. Awkward one, but a good one to break generational patterns. And God says, I have chosen fasting where you are intentionally limiting what comes into your physical body and intentionally growing what is in your spiritual life. In fact, the word fast means to cover your mouth to stop the intake, to come to a place where you stop feeding the flesh and its appetites and its urges and senses and desires so that you can purposefully build your spiritual appetite, urges, senses, and desires. Now, fasting's popular today among dieters, intermittent fasting, right? It's one of those things that people practice. You can download apps. They'll help you with fasting. They'll help you with intermittent fasting, and they provide some great health benefits. But when you do that and you seek God with it, it will diminish your flesh appetites, and it will increase your spiritual appetites. You'll begin to tear down strongholds, patterns that have come to you, and you will find bonds, chains, broken in your life. Transformation happening. Amen? This is part of the purpose that fasting has been given to us for, so that we might be who God has made us to be and not who we once were. Now, it's so easy to listen to the appetites and urges and senses of our flesh, right? In fact, we've gotten so good at it that here in America, at least, we pretty much can just yield to whatever urge or appetite we have. You think of whatever food you want, you can just about go get it. You think of, I want to take a nap, you can go home and take a nice nap. You want to watch something on something, you can watch something on something. You want to go somewhere, you can go somewhere. But here's the problem. If you always yield to whatever your flesh wants... You are putting it in charge. You are saying, you get to decide 
everything in life, right? And you let it rain. If you do that, if you train it to be in control, then it's going to say some other things to you like, you ought to be really mad right now. You ought to be really jealous right now. You ought to be filled with anxiety right now. You ought to be worried right now. You ought to be insecure right now. And you train your flesh by feeding its appetites, you'll soon train it to be in charge of other parts of your life. And this is where many Christians live. So much so that when a spiritual appetite comes, when all of a sudden you have a desire that says, I think I want to read the Bible. What we often do is we check in with our physical senses to see if they agree. I think I want to read the Bible. No, I'm too tired right now. You see what's happening here? Instead of the spirit being in charge, we said, flesh, you decide. I think I want to fast. No, I'm way too hungry. You see what's happening here? I think I want to tell my family member about what God is doing in my life. No, that would be embarrassing. I think I want to start being more bold about my faith. No, you're going to get reaction. You see what's happening? You are allowing the flesh to decide if you're going to walk in the Spirit. And it's time for the church to wake up and say, that's enough of that. I'm not going to let my flesh be in charge anymore. I, in fact, I have been set free from my sin. I've been set free from my flesh. And I am called to be a, a, a spiritual person who prays, worships, is bold in my faith, and is growing in my walk in Christ. I'm changing. I'm transforming. I'm not addicted anymore. But to do that, you're going to have to be at a place where you tell your flesh, no, you don't get to run the show anymore. No. You're not in charge. No. Emotions, you don't get to run this deal. Thoughts, backseat. Feelings, no. Urges, no. God gets to lead in us. Amen? Now this is where fasting and praying comes in. It's tough. It's not easy to fast. The minute you say, I'm going to fast and not eat this meal, whoo, you know what's going to happen next. Old Flash is going to say, hey, we're hungry down here. If you don't know it, I'm going to rumble in your tummy a little bit. I'm going to cause you to get a headache. I'm going to make you weak because I'm in charge. And I don't like being told no. That's the flesh, right? I'm insecure. I'm fearful. I'm worrying. I'm mad. I'm whatever. And I'm going to let you know it. And here I am. Why? It's time for the church to say, look, flesh. You were crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Get out of the driver's seat. Get in the back. What do you think you're doing? So God says, I have established the fast as a way to loose, break the bonds, the patterns, the wickedness, the iniquities that hold you so that you don't have to stay addicted and it's just interesting that God would choose the primary way of being through food. Now, he goes on in the same uh, verse and says, not just loose the bonds of wickedness, but to undo the heavy burdens. I love this, uh, the word undo here in the Hebrew, it actually means to, to shake off, to have 
a weight on you, but you rise up in power and say, that's enough. And you shake it off. You get it off of you. You undo the burden that was weighing you down. The burden that says, I'm just worthless. I'm just no good. God could never bless me. I'll never measure up. I'll never be enough. I can't do anything right. I'm terrible. I'm crazy. I'm ugly. I'm stupid. I'm whatever. Those heavy burdens, I can't be blessed by God. I could never have peace with God. I can't break free from this addiction. My life's going to be miserable. I'm not going to have enough. All that stuff are heavy, heavy burdens. And most Christians just walk around just This is my cross to bear. No, you are to shake those off. You're not meant to carry those burdens in Jesus Christ. And fasting is one way you say to your flesh, your emotions, and your thoughts, you are not in charge. Stop. Amen? I wish I could have a conversation in this context right here. I wish we could just take some Q&A for a little bit. I do this with our staff, and I do this in our family, because I want to hear what's going on inside your thoughts. I want to hear where the work is in this. I want to hear what God's doing, because this stuff is, this is challenging. This is, this is true warfare. When you start shutting the flesh down, you start saying no to it, and you start saying yes to the Spirit. He goes on in the same patch, and he says, here's another reason I have created the fast, is to let the oppressed go free. Now, the implication here is that the person is the one that's the oppressor, and he creates the fast, he changes the motives, he changes what's inside so that you actually let the oppressed free. Well, who are the oppressed? They are the people in your life that you're holding in a prison. They are the people in your life that you won't forgive. They are the people in your life that you keep taking advantage of. They are the people in your life that you keep using. You are the one who's the oppressor, and Isaiah writes to people who were oppressing others. Even as believers, they were cruel, they were mean, they were heartless. And he says, I have created the fast so that you will break free from your arrogance, your cruelty, your meanness, your your anger, your bitterness, all of that, so that you actually let people go free. You become one who is forgiving. You become one who is kind. Life comes from you. He goes on, he says, also, that you break every yoke that there is no burden attached to you. The yoke is what was applied when there were two animals who were going out to be servants to the farmer. And he would put two oxen together, two cattle together. And they put a wooden yoke around their necks and they were put into forced labor. Fasting is a way of breaking the yoke that says, I have to give in to my appetite. I have to give in to my urges. I have to give in to my desires. I have to click on that link. I have to click on that app. I have to go here. I have to say this. I have to conform to the crowd. I have to give in to this thing I'm, I'm with. I have to give in to this appetite and this urge and addiction. And God has established the fast to break every yoke in our life. Amen? He goes on in verse 7, he says, Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked, that you cover him, and not hide yourself from your own flesh? This is God's way of saying, look, you 
are so consumed with yourself that you can't even see the people around you in their time of need. You can't even tell that they're hurting, that they're spiritually naked, that they are in need of even physical food. You are so stuck on your own senses. You have lost your ability to sense people in need. You have dulled your relational senses. You can't even tell when you should be compassionate. You don't understand when you should be merciful. You don't understand when you ought to just shut your mouth. You don't understand when you need to speak a word of kindness. You don't even understand when you should be giving from what God has given you. You're missing the point because you are so dialed into your own flesh that you have dismissed the Spirit of God at work in your life. You're so here that you can't even recognize here. And you need to get here. And the only way you'll get there is by taking the intentional approach of fasting and praying and developing your spiritual senses to sense that there are people around you, that your husband has needs emotional needs, spiritual needs, and to pray for him. That your wife has emotional needs, relational needs, and spiritual needs. That you pray for her. That your children have emotional and relational and spiritual needs. That you pray for them and you give to them and you sacrifice for them. This is what fasting helps us do is increase our sensitivity to others. Then Isaiah says, now let me tell you what it's going to be like when you do. And he transitions for us with a single word. He says, then, then. When you do this, here's what's going to happen. Let me tell you the product that will, that will unfold in your life. If you will begin the intentional process of living in the diligent, intentional consistency of choosing to not always feed your flesh and instead feed the Spirit to take time to seek God, and to take time to shut down the flesh in your life. Here are the results. Here is the then. Here's what he says. Then your light shall break forth like the morning. He gives us this beautiful picture of someone who has, um, they've been out and it's dark. They've been out and the night's been long. And all of a sudden you can tell it's almost morning the light is about to change a little bit and you see and you look at the horizon and you begin to see the glow of the sun coming up. And it comes up and all of a sudden light just permeates the area and morning has come. I don't know if you've been through some dark nights of the soul. There have been some nights for me. There's been some long nights for me. Physical nights and some spiritual nights when I've just wanted morning to come. And I've wondered, God, where are you? God, what are you doing? God, do you hear me? God, are you going to answer? And then all of a sudden, he shows up in the moment. And it's like morning has come in that moment. Hope appears. Light breaks forth like the morning. God says, when you fast, when you pray, when you develop your spiritual senses, when you shut down your flesh and all of its urges and appetites, it will be like morning coming on the scene. It will all of a sudden increase your spiritual senses. All of a sudden, you will see clearly where God is. You won't wonder, God, where are you? God, what are you doing? God, what am I supposed to do? No, light will break forth and you will know.
Man, I want to live in that spot, amen? I want to live in that moment where I see God at work and mourning happens and I know that I'm forgiven. I know I'm redeemed. I know God has a purpose for my life and I walk in that and I see mourning has come. I don't live as a slave to my urges. You know, this year, actually a couple of years ago, um, Jerry Phillips put me on to um, the blood type diet. It sounds kind of weird. But I saw Jerry losing a lot of weight from it. And I thought, I need to do some of that. I thought, I'm going to see what this is. Blood Type Diet is, is a book that a man put together that, um, that suggests that there is a certain diet that fits your blood type, that your body has a certain chemical makeup, and that if you eat the foods that have been really, that will benefit your, your blood type, you will actually lose weight and you will be more healthy. Well, sounds cool. Seen work for Jerry? I'll look it up. I looked it up. I didn't even know my blood type. I ordered a little thing on Amazon, checked my blood type. Turned out I have A positive blood. Cool. I look in this book, and it tells me what A positive blood type should eat. It was everything that I don't like to eat. It told me what I could not eat. It was everything I love to eat. I'm like, ah, Jerry, what are you doing to me here? I thought, I was kind of at a health crisis at the moment. I thought, I'm going to do this. It's going to be tough because I don't like eating what I don't like to eat. And I want to eat what I want to eat. But eating what I wanted to eat was actually hurting my body. And I was struggling with health issues. I mean, indigestion every day, not sleeping well at night, uh, keep just gaining weight and gaining weight, bloated, miserable, unhappy, physical problems. I thought, I'm going to do this. I did it. And it was tough at first. I made the shift. But then as I went through it, I started recognizing something else. This is not just about a diet thing or a lifestyle change. I all of a sudden recognized, man, my flesh has been large and in charge. Because I was at that place where I thought, I smell barbecue. Let's go get some barbecue. I smell chocolate cake. Let's go get some chocolate cake. I want this. I want that. I want this. And all of a sudden, this turned into more than just a dietary shift. This turned into, hold on here. There's somebody ruling me inside, and I don't like them. I'm not going to be a slave to my appetites anymore. So it turned from me because now I began to apply this discipline to try to put my redeemed self back in the place of leadership in my life and not my flesh self anymore. Do you understand me? I'm not making a pitch for blood type diet. I'll talk to you about that if you want. That's not my purpose here. My purpose is what God says. He has come and made a way for you and I to know that there is life in the spirit for us to be free from our guilt and shame, but also be free from sin in our life, to be free from being a slave to my urges and appetites of doing whatever I want when I want. That is a slave when your urges are the one who are telling you that. And God says, if you will follow my pattern, your light will break forth like the morning. You will begin to see God in your life. You will no longer wear the label of your dysfunction. 
you no longer wear the label of your past. You will start to wear the labels that God has given you. You'll stop calling yourself ugly, stupid, rejected, a failure, guilty, not enough, constant failure. You'll stop all of that and you'll start identifying with what God says you are. Redeemed, accepted, whole, righteous, holy, and just in his sight. Amen? Your morning will break forth or your light will break forth like the morning. It also says your healing will spring forth speedily. Now this, this is true physically, but it's also true uh, relationally emotionally, and in our thoughts. Because the word healing here is a word for restoration. It's a word that means to put back in the order that God had purposed it for. And so where you have known brokenness, where you've known hurt, where you've known pain, where you've known rejection, all of a sudden you will begin to experience a healing in those areas you begin to experience a restoration of the life that God intended you to have. Wounds from the past, you'll start experiencing healing for those. Hurts that you've carried, burdens that have weighed you down, all of that will begin to be healed in your life. All those areas of guilt, forgiveness will take over. For all those areas of tension, peace will settle in. For all those areas of shame, love will take over. For all those areas of confusion, purpose will come in. For all the areas of weakness, there will be spiritual power. For all those areas of isolation and distance from God, you'll experience intimacy with him because it will spring forth and he will begin healing and restoring all of the waste places you've walked in. And you'll begin to experience life differently because your spirit will be growing and your flesh will be put into its place. And then he says, and your righteousness shall go before you. So it's a picture here of leadership, again, of order. And he says, when you begin to walk in God's ways and you begin to grow your spirit and deny your flesh, you know that's what Jesus said, right? If any man would come after me, let him deny his flesh, take up his cross, and follow me. It's a picture of leadership. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, then you're going to have to deny your flesh, take up your cross, and follow me. So when I was in high school, I was the drum major in the band. It was fun. I love that. It's a pretty cool feeling whenever you start off walking, and you look behind you, and there's like 100 people all following you. It's intimidating, but it's cool at the same time. Because you get, you, if you're marching in a parade, you know, you get up here and all of a sudden you do this kind of deal, and you turn and go this way, and you look behind you, and like they're all turning at the same time. They're all doing that. It's like, dude, did you see that? It's cool. This picture right here, Jesus says, if you want to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and let's go. And this verse says, when you begin doing this, when you begin putting your spirit ahead of your flesh. You are putting order in place. And he says, and righteousness will go in front. It will be in the lead. It will be the one in charge. And all of a sudden, you'll start walking and saying, I am going to follow what is righteous. I'm going to follow what God says. And you'll walk with that leading 
And your spiritual senses will be so sharp in that moment, you'll know what to do. You'll know God's word, you'll know God's spirit, and you won't be wondering like, which way did the drum major go? I don't even see him anywhere. You'll know. You'll know righteousness is walking in front of you. You'll know God's ways. You'll walk in it. You'll come upon moments and you'll say, I know what to do in this situation. I know the choice to take. Righteousness demands it. Righteousness tells me what to do. I'm not following the crowd on this deal. If the crowd goes left, I'm going right because righteousness leads me. And your spiritual senses will get sharp when you start fasting and praying. And righteousness will go in front of you. Not only in front of you, it says the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. God will be in front and God will be in back. You can't protect your back, but boy, he can. He can make sure that if, in, if the enemy comes against you one way, he'll send it out seven ways. He can make sure that if the enemy tries to cast an arrow at you, he'll stop it. His glory will be the guard. He'll take care of the press. He'll take care of the media. You don't have to go check your social media every day to see what their world or what their, your enemies are saying about you. He'll take care of all that. Shut all that down. You'll follow after righteousness and he'll take care of your rear guard. But finally, he says, then you shall call and the Lord will answer. All these other things are amazing, but this, though you shall call on the Lord, you shall pray and he will hear, then you shall call and the Lord will answer. Let's click on verse 9 and get it up there. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. This is pray bold. This is confidence. This is certainty. When you get your spiritual senses sharp, you deny your flesh, you put it in its place, you don't listen to its urges, you start listening to God, you start building your spirit, you start walking in righteousness, you will pray and God will quickly give an answer. And you'll know. You won't wonder. You won't wonder. You will hear because he answers. But then he finishes with this. He says, you shall cry and he will say, here I am. The minute you just whisper, God, he shows up. The minute you just begin to breathe his name, he shows up in a moment. This is what awaits the people of God who will seek him so intentionally, so purposefully that they would even fast and deny their flesh and seek God and grow their spirit. So here's what I'm challenging myself and I challenge us with as a church. This week, you choose the way for you. Fast. Maybe it's a meal. Maybe it's a day. Maybe it's not food. Maybe it's a thing. But you choose to intentionally not give in to your flesh, but intentionally 
yield to your spiritual appetites. Intentionally pray. Intentionally worship. Intentionally read scripture. And I would ask toward this end when you do so that you might actually become mighty in spirit. I'm not promising you you're going to fast Tuesday from lunch and Wednesday night every prayer is going to be answered and all miracles are going to break out and everybody in your family is going to have strongholds pulled down. I'm not suggesting that to you. God can do that, but I'm here to tell you he often works in the intentional disciplined, seeking him, denying the flesh, seeking him, denying the flesh, then you build your spirit and you become mighty in spirit. This is what he calls us to. He's called you to be that strong, powerful in faith, a warrior in prayer, free from the slavery to your urges. He's called you to be victorious, one who sees God, knows God, who sees when the enemy is at work, who recognizes strongholds, who pulls down lies, who stops making false agreements, who sets captives free, who calls down blessings, who brings heaven to earth, who refuses to stop, who won't give in, who keeps pressing forward. This is who he calls us to be. And let's be those people who deny our flesh and walk in the spirit. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, you've called us to follow you, to take the journey, to walk in the path that you're walking in. God, I thank you that you've called us to that kind of transformation and change. You've called us to break strongholds and cast down arguments, take every thought captive to be those who war in the spirit, to be those who are mighty in faith, to be those who are bold in how we pray. And God, I pray that, that this week we would begin that journey of intentionally fasting and praying, denying and seeking so that we might become what you've called us to be, your people who are mighty in spirit, those who recognize what's happened in our day those who are not dismayed, those who are not ashamed, those who are not afraid of what's happening, but we stand up as conquering, confident warriors, believing, trusting, praying, and seeing you answer, and seeing you break strongholds in our family, seeing you set captives free of those we love, seeing transformation happen in our lives, and growing and becoming a people who are truly mighty in your spirit. I ask these blessings upon us as a church because this is what you've called us to. This is what you've promised that as we do those things, we would see who you are and the gates of hell would not prevail against us, God. We pray all this today in the name of Jesus. Amen.